The reading this morning is taken from the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 2. can be found on page 663 of the Pew Bibles. We begin at verse 1. I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is madness, and what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly. My mind still guided me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasures of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well, the delights of a man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labour, and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet, when I surveyed all that my hand had done and what I had toiled to achieve... Everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. We now begin at verse 17. So I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish. Yet they will have control over all of the fruit of my toil into which I've poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. So my heart began to despair over all of my toilsome labour under the sun. For a person may labour with wisdom, knowledge and skill And then they must leave all they own to another who has not toiled over it. This too is meaningless and a great misfortune. What do people get for all the toil and anxious striving with which they labour under the sun? All their days their work is grief and pain. Even at night their minds do not rest. This too is meaningless. A person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? To the person who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge and happiness. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. 
This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. Thank God it's Sunday. Let me pray. Father, as we come to your word, may the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you, our God, our rock and saviour, we pray. Transform us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let me commence this second message on our series on work, combining faith and work with another story from being overseas. Forgive me, there's still a few to get out of the system, let me tell you. Um, and this morning we're thinking about the whole issue of connecting faith and work and Monday-itis. Now, on our journey for long service leave, we spent a week in Paris. And when we were there, we had a beautiful day. We went and climbed the Eiffel Tower. And it was one of these great moments where you get up and you see Paris. And then we climbed down and thought, what would we do next? And we decided we'd go to see the Museum of Rodin's Sculptures. And it's a, really a, a beautiful aristocratic house uh, and gardens that houses his great works. And you think of the Thinker, uh, the Great Statue, the Gates of Hell and others. And so we had a fair walk. And so as we're walking along, we came across this protest. And it was kind of classic French uh, enthusiasm. There's emotion, there's singing, they're chanting. And the colour red, which you can kind of see there, kind of told you that this was a socialist movement. And they were protesting about something. We had no idea what it was because they're singing in French. Uh, knowing who I am, I just went and joined in. I thought I'd just walk along for a bit and uh, enjoy the moment. Anyway, we turned the corner because we had to kind of go off the route. And literally, there were thousands of them out on the street that day striking. And we came across um, this police van. In fact, there was a whole bunch of these police officers. And they weren't any police officers. They were the riot squad. And I thought, gee, the group didn't seem that violent and you know they're decked out in their Kevlar and they've got the automatic rifles and you know it's very serious and I went up to one of them and said look excuse me I, I don't speak much French uh, pardon uh, do you speak any English and he said oh a little I said good uh, what's the protest about and he looked down his nose at me and with this uh, kind of French accent he goes ah they are protesting work <laughs> and then he walked off and that's what they were doing. They were protesting work. And I thought, it's fascinating. Um, the culture there, they love life. I wouldn't say they loved work, uh, is one of the things I picked up. And it's interesting as we come to this series on work, what we view of it. And I want to put before you uh, one idea, which is from Aristotle. And let me say, he was an ancient Greek. I don't know if the modern Greeks are that much different. Uh, when you see what's happening in their current culture. He said this, look, unemployment, and what he's saying in terms of unemployment was the ability to live life without having to work. Unemployment was a primary qualification for being able to live a genuinely worthwhile life. Interesting, isn't it? In other words, it's kind of the, the workers, it's servile, it's below you having to work protesting work. The higher life is not having to work. Now, what we saw last week in this series is that work is actually a good thing. We wouldn't agree with this. Uh, we saw that God is a worker and as a result, work is good. We're created 
to work. We're made to serve, we're made to create, we're made to govern. Uh, we're made to learn, to educate, to organise, to administrate, to build, to sustain, to protect. You think of all the different ways people work. It's a good thing. Now, some have recognised the need for work, and here's a guy who was a Scottish philosopher from the 18th century. Uh, he wrote a famous book called The Wealth of the Nations, and um, this man, Adam Smith, is seen as being kind of the father of modern economics. His take on work was um, that the only reason you would work is to provide for your economic needs. There's no other intrinsic meaning in it. It's purely pragmatic work in terms of providing income to sustain us and sustain an economy. And I'd want to say, based on what Scott said last week and importantly what Genesis 1 and 2 said, rubbish. That's not what we think of work. We're made to work and find meaning and purpose in life through our work. It's not just about acquiring capital through self-interest. We're not to protest work. You think about the different ways we work. A builder completes a job. There's a sense of accomplishment. When a lawyer successfully helps a client, they feel good. We've done something. There's a sense that you are helping. When a teacher helps a student learn, when parents see their children grow up, and do well in life. It's all part of being workers. We're made that way. And in this series on work, we're defining work, if I can say broadly, about the service of others and the production that helps our world run, not just in terms of paid work. But here's the problem. If work is such a good thing, why is it, I think many of us probably struggle to get up on Monday morning and enjoy joyfully shout with Scott, thank God it's Monday. I'll tell you, when I woke up Monday morning last, uh, you know, six days ago, I woke up thinking, oh man, I'm exhausted. Now, Sunday is a long day for us and that's why you feel exhausted as a minister, but I know some of you would have woken up feeling apprehensive about going into work. Uh, For others, there's mothers who, in their work, they think, well, it's just like Groundhog Day. Does this ever get any better? And so you're not kind of waking up rejoicing, thank God it's Monday. And in the words of the great 20th century uh, modern philosopher, Mick Jagger, what did he sing? I can't get no satisfaction. I won't try and sing this song for you, but he tried and he tried and he tried, didn't he? And you think, what's the problem? And we saw last week, Genesis 1 and 2, God is a worker, we are workers, made in his image to work. There's a very deep sense in our DNA that we're wired this way, yet Genesis 3 records that the judgment of God on human rebellion against him is that there will be toil and struggle. And in the words of Tim Keller, he said, work exists now in a world that though sustained by God is disordered by sin. We work in a world sustained by God but disordered by sin. And what I want to do this morning is, um, as we think about why we get frustrated by work, is turn to the book of Ecclesiastes. If you've got your Bibles there, let's get them open. Uh, Page 662-663. It is a great book, Ecclesiastes, to look at. And I want to just make three introductory comments as we think about Ecclesiastes and in particular what it has to say about work. And the first is this, just understand the genre. Uh, It's a very unique Uh, if I can say, genre or style of writing. And there's a number of wisdom books in the Bible 
Uh, this is one particular one. It's not like Proverbs. Proverbs is, if I can say, time-tested sayings of wisdom that are handed down generation by generation. You receive them, you pass them on. And so it has the language of fathers, mothers, instructing their children. Now, this is very different. This is kind of the young buck who says, look, I've heard that, but I've got to go and experience it myself. Uh, And you see that typically with young people. They'll grow up and think, yes, I've heard what you get to say, mum and dad, but I'm going to go and find out for life my way. And Ecclesiastes is written by Solomon, uh, the language of the teacher. He's speaking in the third person about himself. He's saying, I went out and tried life, and this is what I found. It's a book of street-level wisdom. Secondly, the word that dominates this book in Hebrew is hebel. And it's a word that you can translate in different ways. You'll find it being translated as meaningless. It literally means breath. Life is just a breath, is what Solomon is saying. When he went out and lived life and surveyed it and reflected upon all of his accomplishments and experiences... Life is just a breath, it's meaningless. And as we think particularly about work today, I want you to think of that word in terms of breath, it's temporary, is what he's saying. Life is just temporary. And because of that, it doesn't hold the meaning that we want it to, it's meaningless. Now the third thing to note, and if you just look at chapter 2 as we think particularly about work... There are both positive and negative things to say. And Ecclesiastes is known as a book that's fairly depressing to read because 39 times he says, well, it's meaningless. And so it has that kind of very strong ring about it and repetitive nature to it where it keeps reminding you life is just a breath. But yet there are four blocks of writing here in the 12 chapters. And each block finishes with a positive. We're going to come to the positive today. But even just as you read through, you'll note there are both positive and negative things said about work. Uh, In chapter 2, verse 4 to 6 is where he first kind of reflects on work. He says, I undertook great projects and he built things, he planted things, he made things. And they were things that he did. If I can say the positive nature of work, we accomplish something when we actually work. But then he reflects upon it in the second part of the reading we had verses 17 through to the end of the chapter and in particular in 17 to 23 he describes work with these words work was grievous to him work was meaningless it was toil it required effort and skill yet it became meaningless it was toilsome labor it involved striving it brought grief and pain In other words, as promising as work is by what you accomplish, the teacher says it's going to always frustrate you if you seek to find your meaning and purpose through it. It's going to always frustrate you. And so you get this classic verse, chapter 2, verse 11. When I surveyed all that my hands had done, he's reflecting on his life, and what I had toiled to achieve, all that he's built... Actually, it's just a breath. Everything was meaningless. It was so temporary. A chasing after the wing. Nothing was gained under the sun. And there's three things to reflect on 
when we think about work from this chapter. First is work can never secure you a legacy. Second, work can never secure you satisfaction. Third, only God can give us true meaning in and through our work. Let's look at that first thing. Firstly, work can never secure you a legacy. Have a look at verse 17. I hated life because the work that's done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it's meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Why was it grievous? Uh, why is he hating life? He said, I hated all the things I told for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish? Yet they're going to have control over all the fruit of my toil into which I've poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. It's so temporary. So my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labour under the sun. For a person may labour with wisdom, they can labour with knowledge, they can labour with skill, and then they must leave all they own to another who's tall for it. This too is meaningless. It's so temporary, you could say, and it's an incredible misfortune. You see, work can never secure a legacy for you. And there's no doubt one of the things that people strive for in work is to create a legacy and to create a name for themselves. It's inherent with this. You see it right back in the beginning in Genesis 11 with Babylon, where they want to make a name for themselves, building the tallest tower. Let me say, that endeavour of trying to build the tallest building has still not ceased. Every 10 years, you'll see another building, typically now in Dubai, that is taller than all the rest. Because we want to make a name for ourselves, for me. And work is such a great arena for that to happen. We think, if I get bigger, if we get better, if I overtake my competitors. Now, we do it with parenting as well, don't we? Let's just not think of paid work. We'd never say it, but, oh, gee, my kids are better than them, aren't they? <laughs> That's such a dreadful family. I wonder how they parent them. We're awful. What Solomon is saying, whatever you labour and toil for, you can't take it with you. This is where you see the reality of us working in a world that's under the curse. Now, I'll give you my own personal experience of this as a minister. And I've seen this happen where ministers have toiled and toiled and under God the ministry has flourished only for the next person to come in and it to fall apart. And it's a great anguish for the minister who built the ministry. And this happens and will happen and does happen in our working careers and our working lives. It'll happen in our families as well. Now here's an interesting list. It's published by Forbes every year. It's the top 10 earners who are dead. I don't know if you knew about this list. Uh, I discovered it this week. But here's the top five. Elizabeth Taylor, she's been dead for quite a while now. Uh, she still earns $20 million with her celebrity fragrance business. Now, apparently it's dwindling. She only gets $20 million this year. Uh, coming in at number four, Bob Marley. Didn't earn much when he was alive, but now he's number four on the top ten, uh, top ten earners in terms of people who are dead. $21 million. It's through um, marketing his name and lifestyle with products and his music. Incredible, but he's dead. Um, this is Charles Schultz. Ever read the pe um, Peanuts and Charlie Brown magazine, comics? Yep, they're still being published. And he earns $40 million through his cut of the licensing revenue of the comic Charlie Brown. Now, 
Elvis, this probably doesn't surprise you. He died years ago, but his Graceland ticket sales and record sales generated 55 million last year. Thank you very much. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't help that. Um, number one, Michael Jackson. 115 million. Apparently, he's going to go close to a billion in a couple of years' time. He owns half of Sonny and their production rights. And if Sonny get bought out, which is a possibility, it will go through the roof even further. Now, here's the thing. They earn vast amounts of money, but they're dead. And they've got no say in it. And all that ends up is, typically, you've got families fighting over it. And I bring that before us today as an illustration, if I can say, of what Solomon is saying. Life is so temporary. It's meaningless. You cannot have a legacy that is secure through your work. I think pastorally of the people I've ministered to, one of the interesting ones was the daughter of Donald Mackay. Now, for those who are significantly younger than me, you may not know that name. Uh, he was a very good man who lived in Griffith, owned a furniture store, and he fought against the corruption of the drug trade there. But overnight, as his zeal to bring justice to that town was cut off as the mob literally took him out and he's never been seen again. He was assassinated. And I remember meeting with his daughter and sharing the gospel with her. She came to my previous church. And I thought, what a profoundly sad story and yet descriptor of the incredible injustice of life and of work. I think of executives that I meet fairly regularly who one day have been at the top of the castle in their chosen profession. How many times have I seen them come into churches because the rug has been pulled out from underneath them for one reason or another and their career is over? For some, their careers are ruined. Some, they've ended in jail. Some have lost businesses and careers. Some, their marriages have fallen apart. Sometimes it's been their fault. Other times it's not been their fault at all, but the fault of others. Sometimes it's just the vagarity of the market and the economy. But the reality is, one day on top of the world, the next day, wondering what is life about? And you see, what Solomon is saying, this is life. This is the world you live in. It's so temporary. Do not try and build a legacy through your work. You can't secure it ever, ever. But secondly, work can never secure lasting satisfaction. Now, it's worth saying, there is some satisfaction in the work we do. Now, one thing I did, and I was involved in a very small way, but it had a very significant impact, particularly on this town of Manly, uh, was in my engineering days. And I worked in two jobs that related to one project. Uh, one was with the Coastal Works Department in my very, very beginning of being a civil engineering student out in the workplace with Public Works. And we were involved working out all the currents offshore of Sydney. A few years later, I then worked for John Holland, who were commissioned and they won the contract to build three offshore tunnels, two kilometres long. Uh, one was at Malabar, one was at Bondi, and one was here at North Head. 
And I've spoken to people who've lived in Manly for 40 years and they will tell you what the water quality was like back 40 years ago when there was no offshore tunnel. And I kind of feel a little bit proud. I mean, I did a tiny amount of work on it, but you kind of, I was part of that project that cleaned up Manly. And people will tell me about how dreadful the water was. And you have a sense of accomplishment and a satisfaction. And I was thinking about some of the people who we have here. The emergency room nurse and doctor who worked to save a life. I think if they clocked off that day, they would think, yeah, I'm so glad I did the training. It's been a good day at work. The lawyer representing a client who is innocent and gets them off and they hear the verdict from the judge, not guilty. And they think, I'm so glad I spent the time and could help this person. You think of the financial planner who helps a couple retire well. They think, this is good. One of the great days as a minister is when you are marrying kids, and it's not just great for the kids, but the parents, as they see their children now doing well and married and setting off in life together, it's a great day to be involved in. There's a great sense of achievement and satisfaction. But here's the thing the teacher says, it will never last. Have a look at verse 22. What do people get for all their toil and anxious striving in which they labour under the sun? All their days their work is grief and pain, even at night their minds do not rest. This too is meaningless. And you see, what he's reflecting on here is the great reality of how sin has affected our work. And note the language. There is grief, there is pain, their minds do not rest, which if I can say is an ancient description for stress... And I was thinking about just some of the conditions that you face and meet at work. And one of the reasons why people hate work, because of the bullying that goes on. Now, I'd never heard the term narcissist until about 10 years ago. But it is a social description of a, person, a certain personality type that is so destructive in the workplace, where the person has no empathy for anyone else except for themselves. And you think of sociopaths who can just destroy organisations. Now that's just to name a few, let alone corruption and graft, lying and politicking that goes on in workplaces. Is it any wonder that Solomon says, yes, work can be grief and pain and stressful? And the problem is this. So many people seek to find their ultimate sense of meaning and purpose from it. And you see, there's no doubt, work does provide thrills, it can provide meaning and purpose, but not ultimate meaning. It's always going to let us down. Now, I'm sure many of you will be familiar with this face. Hugh Laurie is his name, House. He was, at one stage, the highest paid TV entertainer in America half a million dollars per episode. You'd think he'd be a happy guy, wouldn't he? This is what he said. His success became a gilded cage. And it got to the point that he even fantasised about having an accident on the road to work so he could just take a few days off. Now... That testimony is not uncommon of people at the top when they've made it in the world. They realise there's an emptiness there. And the stress of it and the pressure of it to keep performing slowly kills them. 
why is it executives are so prone to heart disease and heart attacks? Do you know why? Because they've lived off adrenaline for so long to get to where they've got to that the adrenaline literally kills them. Now, that's another whole topic. But you see, the problem is this. When our culture turns away from God in a real way, the one we're made to worship and find our ultimate meaning in, it will look somewhere to find that meaning and that purpose in life. And that's why Solomon says in chapter 3, I've seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He's made everything beautiful in its time. He has set eternity into the human heart. We are made to worship God and when we turn away from God, we will seek to put something in its place. And one of the great idols of our Western culture is we put work in that place and we seek for it to build our legacy and to be where we find our ultimate satisfaction and meaning and purpose in life. And friend Solomon says, if that's what you think, you're wrong. Because it's meaningless. It's so temporary. It's like a breath. And you see, the problem is, we live in a culture that is rampant with individualism. And what individualism does, it says you are what's most important and what you've got to go and do is find your own experiences and define yourself. And work is a great theatre to do that. Because if you're able, which typically the people, if I can say, in our culture and our church are, you can carve out a great niche for yourself and make some sort of a name. Friends, it will never build the legacy you want. It'll never provide the satisfaction you're seeking. And it's only ever going to turn up you empty at some point in life. And that's why Solomon turns to God at the end of this section. He says, actually, this is what I've discovered having accomplished, having built, having done all sorts of things, he says a person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. And the word satisfaction is a very important word there. You see, what he's saying is, you find your contentment in God. And I want to give you two key words to hang on to as you go to work each day, which if you believe them, can help you significantly work well and not be frustrated and not be let down and help you cope when things go wrong, when the rug is pulled out, when retrenchment comes, when the job collapses or even when... It's going so well, people think you're a legend. And the two words are identity and contentment. You see, what we are to do, Solomon says, is find our identity and our satisfaction in God. We have to see that work is from the hand of God and our identity is that we belong to Him. Now, when you come to the New Testament, it's about finding your identity in the Lord Jesus Christ. Such that what defines me is actually not my job and not my skills and not my output, not my children. They don't define me either. Not my work colleagues and the way they view me. 
Now, what defines me is Jesus Christ, that I am His child and I'm loved by Him, I'm forgiven by Him, and that's who I find my identity in. And whether I am the Premier or the Street Sweeper, actually, that's who I am. And so whatever happens at work is not going to change that and is not going to redefine that. I am a child of Christ and I'm loved by Him and I'm here to serve Him. That's why those words from 400 years ago from Brother Lawrence are so helpful. You see, irregardless of the work that we have, as significant as it may be for our country or as insignificant, Actually, all of it is to be done for Christ. I find satisfaction in my toil because it's from the hand of God. And so with identity comes contentment. That I'm actually content to do what God has put before me. It doesn't matter if I don't get the promotion. Be it because I'm not quite good enough. Or I've been overlooked because I'm a Christian and that happens too. I'm content with where I am. Now, that doesn't mean you don't have aspirations, but it does mean that you will find satisfaction in what you're doing and enjoyment in what you're doing. And if God prospers you, fantastic. But if he doesn't prosper you, well, no worries. Do you you know what I'm saying? You can actually be content with where you are and find satisfaction in your toil. This is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat find enjoyment and here's the incredible thing to the person who pleases him the one who finds their identity and contentment in him here's the promise god will give you wisdom knowledge and happiness and that's why someone like brother lawrence who is a monk who's just serving food repetitively day in and day out can find his joy because he doesn't worship his work he worships his savior and his heart is filled every day with the joy of the lord not the joy of beating his competitors. And they are very different things. But when you're filled with the joy of the Lord, you can actually go to work, be it volunteer or paid, at home or in the industry, knowing that God has put you there. And you're there to serve him and be his man and woman and shine his light and bring his love and grace, and mercy, and truth, and righteousness to bear. Friends, we are made to work, but we've been created to work and placed in a world that will always frustrate that endeavour because of the fall. Now, one day will come when that frustration and pain will be over, but in the meantime, we are to toil on in this world And we will do that well when we don't seek to make work our God, but rather our God is the one who's placed us in our work. I want us to stop and just have a reflect on that and just be quiet. And as we're doing through this series, we're going to pray for people in various aspects of work in the world. 
But before I do that, just be quiet and pray and respond to what God has been speaking to you this morning. Where do you find your identity and satisfaction in this world? And how is God using you where you are working? Friends, I'm going to pray for a number of categories of people. And if you're this, in this category of work, I want you to stand up because I want to pray for you. Uh, if you're an advisor in some capacity, if you're an educator, a teacher, come on, Kirsten Bott, you can stand up. Head of the music school at Shaw Department. If you're a problem solver or fixer or administrator, you know, you're the people who make things work and fix things when they don't. I love administrators because I'm dreadful at it. Well, let's pray for these people and their work today. Father, we do thank you for these people who advise, who teach and educate, who administrate and solve problems and fix things. They are such a blessing to so many people. For those who give advice, I pray that they would have your wisdom each day. Seeped in your word, they would act and speak in a way that reflects the wisdom of God. And give them great grace to do that in ways that are appropriate, in ways that care. For our educators, Lord, we do thank you for them and the incredible job they do to train and teach not just young people, people of all ages. Help them to teach in a way that is caring, is helpful, is insightful and helps the learner to learn. And for those who are the problem solvers and fixers and the administrators, we just thank you for them and the work they do to sort things out and make things happen. And we pray that you give them great grace as they confront problems each day, as they sort messes out, as they seek to work in difficult circumstances... Help them to plan well, help them to relate well with those they work with and just give them breakthroughs every day as they seek to sort out the messes before them and bring order to the workplaces they're in. May you prosper all these areas and prosper these people for your sake, in Jesus' name. Amen.